that jarring cacophony ending with the new version of the theme tune. Dave is covering his ears now because he doesn't want to hear it. So if you don't want to hear what the new Doctor Who theme sounds like live, then cover your ears for the next 30 odd seconds and we'll ramble for a little bit. Well, that's that's no use, is it? Because I don't want to hear it until it goes out on television, which means I'm not going to listen to this episode until after the, the, the first episode's going out on television. Or skip forward, noise, skip forward to one minute in because we'll just do a pre-ramble. Anyway, you're yeah. listening to the Power of Three podcast, the Doctor Who podcast that likes to discuss, discourse, digest and disagree as we make our way through the Doctor Who universes and all sorts. I'm Kenny Smith and here he is, I mentioned him earlier, he's Dave. Yes, I'm, I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Yes, we're already disagreeing about the use of the new version of the theme tune on this episode, so don't say we're not true to our mission statement. Listeners, how are you? Thanks for sticking with us. What day is it today, Kenny? It's the 15th of November, which means that it's Wednesday. Is it? Yes, yeah, no. Wednesday, is the it? 15th of November. Oh yeah, it is. Goodness. Good grief. Listeners, this might be one of the ones that we end up recording closest to release date. It definitely is, I think. The twenty sixth will be our closest to transmit to dropping date. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so far. So far, yes, that's very true. Yeah. Very true. Yes, it is. We're, we're recording this just a few days ago on Saturday, which means that we've all just spent today laughing our socks off at Sting of the Zygons and the unexpected cameo of Veggie Yates of all people. I didn't know. I didn't know that was coming. That that shocked me out. My honey nut cornflakes on Saturday morning. I don't <laughs> mind saying. Well, that's because I bought the audiobook and uh, didn't have it at the time of recording, but I've bought it since. So I thought that'd be quite fun to drop in a little bit of Reggie. That was good. very good, I have that to say. It was good. I remember um, he, he was a. I remember being a Top of the Pops presenter and then he played. Did he not play Martha's Brother for like five minutes? Yes. <laughs> that's the one. That was funny. Anyway, we're not here to talk about episode 11. We're here to record episode 15. Yes. Kenny, what are we talking about in episode 15? Well, Dave, this was a great idea. I think it was yours. We had absolutely ages and ages and ages ago <laughs> to make sure that all the Doctors were featured. So we're including the 14th Doctor, and we've only got one story with him so far because we couldn't really spend half an hour looking at like the last 20 <laughs> seconds or so of the power of a Doctor. So we have got one story which has been brought to us courtesy of Doctor Who magazine for the past year, Liberation yes. of the Daleks. Yes, and I'm I'm holding, we're each, for the benefit of our YouTube viewers, we're each showing up our piles of the last year and a bit's worth of Doctor Who magazine with all, all the episodes of this storyline that has run in the comic strip in Doctor Who magazine ever since issue 584, all the way through to issue 597, which came out two days ago at the time of recording. Yes. And we were I was a bit worried we wouldn't be able to get this done in time, but of course we can because you're fantastic and you always make yourself available for these. So thank you very we much. We do our best. But we have uh, I think it was back in the first we mentioned how excited we were by this comic strip and how much we've been enjoying it. And I think it's fair to say that with every passing episode, I think I've enjoyed it more. So it's been written by Alan Barnes with art from the wonderful Lee Sullivan. The legendary Lee Sullivan. Lee Sullivan has been drawing the Doctor Who magazine comic strip on occasion since the 80s. Yeah, 1988. Planet of the what Dead. Uh, yep, which I was was the 25th anniversary strip um, and featured Sylvester's Doctor landing on a planet and first of all being assailed by some some companions, all of whom he thought were dead. Mm -hmm. And then he ended up with the Doctors, with all the other Doctors. And I remember a really good panel, and I haven't read this in years, listeners, but I read it to death at the time. A really good panel of the first and sixth, sixth Doctors standing together. And I remember being really impressed that the fourth Doctor was drawn in the style that he was drawn in the comic strip, which meant it didn't have tassels at the end of his scarf. Mm -hmm. 
and there's a, all the little aliens that the companions sort of devolved into, sort of surrounded the doctors, and they were inside the TARDIS and outside the ship. And one of the doctors made a comment about how it wasn't very bright of them to stand out in the open like that, and how a field laser would take them all out easily. And that's what alerted the seventh doctor to realise that this wasn't his former selves, it was more of the little shape changing aliens. <gasps> but Dave, do you remember the name of the shape changing aliens? Because I do. I don't. They were in Transformers as well. They were called the Guanzulum. They were in Transformers? They were in a Transformers trip as well, yeah. The same, the exact same aliens? Yes, they're featured in several Marvel publications of the time. Ooh, Marvel UK, I what? should say. I didn't know that. That's Because they had their catchphrase of, um, we have big eyes, we have big teeth. And they'd all say, yes, with a question mark at the end as well. Interesting. So they were in, I'm, I've got, don't know the full run of Transformers UK, but I've got a big pile of them. I might have to go digging. That's very interesting. That's a good new interesting fact. I was not aware of that until now. I think in the 1988, I'd kind of, I'd stopped picking up Transformers. I, I think because Action Force had finished, obviously, and got merged in Transformers. I'd stopped yep. doing that. Stopped picking Transformers up, basically, because I'd got back into Doctor Who. And I, had a, I was having a few years when I wasn't reading comic books for very often. That's very interesting. Anyway, cool. yes, but back to the, the point. Yes, back to the present. We're not in 1988 anymore, Dave. Yeah, I thought this was a great strip. I mean, from the word go, here we go. We've got the Doctor making his way back into the Jodie Tardis and not too much post-regeneration yeah. trauma and just pretty much yeah, getting uh, straight into the adventure. Yeah, it basically picks up where Power of the Doctor left off and the Doctor goes into the ship and ends up ends up basically landing at the, the World Cup. Was it the final of the World Cup in 1966? Yes, it's yeah. the one where Balls Germany were cheated. Balls the signal. And um, and basically, you know, he encounters some aliens and a Dalek saucer arrives and the Daleks fly out and start exterminating all the players on the pitch. It's cracking. And it's, I mean, it's... Listen, there's a collected edition of this imminent. It might even have been published by the time we've released this episode. I know it's out very, very soon. Yep. Probably going to talk about some of the other plot details, so this might be a bit spoilery if you've not been reading along. So you know you might want to skip forward to the interview material, but it's, it's a cracking story. I mean, I I got a tweet published in Doctor Who magazine sharing my enthusiasm for this for this storyline because the Dwim comic strips are basically has half a dozen pages nowadays, which isn't very much. But Alan Barnes and Lee Sullivan have worked wonders over the last year or so. The amount of plot and detailing and sleight of hand and seeding and rug pulling and twists and just detail that they've packed into each episode has been astonishing you know i'm a big american comics fan as you probably know i've made frequent mentions of the earth 2 podcast kenny has at the point of recording kenny's going to be in not our next episode but the two episodes after that i believe isn't that right yes that's the ones yep we are planning a very special episode to be released on the 20th of November, but we'll tell you more about that in the other time. And, you know, I read a lot of American comics, and there's a sort of a tendency has developed in American comics over the last, say, 10 or 15 years to decompress the storytelling. And by what I mean, you'll buy your average 20 odd page comic, and there won't be an awful lot of plot development in an ongoing arc. The worst example of this recently has been a, a Justice Society series when each issue ended up running very, very late. But you pick it up and the plot really wouldn't be any further more advanced than it was after you'd read the last issue. They're basically being designed to be read all in one go as a collected trade paperback or a graphic novel, if you want to use that term. 
what Alan Barnes and Lee Sullivan have been doing is the absolute opposite of that. They were packing so much incident and detail into every six pages that very often you get to the end of each magazine's chapter and you'd be in a completely different place from where you were last time or a significantly advanced in the plot sort of place last time. To do that in six pages is a real skill. It kind of, I suppose it shows the training, it shows the backing. It reminded, a lot of the time it's reminded me of older British weeklies that I would have read as a kid, like the Victor or the Eagle or Buddy or you know that sort of thing where you'd have anthology strips, a whole series of them in each comic, and you get three or four pages max, but each chapter had to kind of serve as its own, very much like episodic Doctor Who in a lot of ways on television, serve as its own chunk with its own bit of narrative and its own, you know, enough story to drive it forward. And the last year or so of the Doctor Who magazine strip has been phenomenal. I cannot praise it enough. It's even just skimming through it again this afternoon. As a reminder, before Ken and I started, to- started talking about it, I was just astonished. I mean, I think it was part 10 especially. The amount that Alan packs in to move the story along, but to sum up everything that's gone on so far and to really kind of set the stakes of what you know, still has to play out for another four episodes, it's phenomenal. I applaud him. I wish we could have gotten him on so we could have praised him, but he's, he's not available, unfortunately, at the moment. It's so good, and I was so pleased that I got a... I got a tweet <laughs> published, sort of praising it. I'll see if I can find it while we're sat here. Actually, yeah. I can find what Tell you what, I'll, I'll give a few thoughts in the, the, the early couple of episodes. Um, you know, obviously the TARDIS arrives at Wembley, which was, or still is, the home of English football, but it was knocked down and demolished in the early 2000s and rebuilt, and it's now a completely different structure. But I was at the old Wembley once, back in 1999. When Scotland right. beat England 1-0, Don Hutchison scored the goal. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, England had won 2-0 at Hamden, the Scottish Stadium, just around the corner from your house, Dave, of course. So we didn't make it to Euros that year, sadly. But it was a great night, and I've still never seen that goal because I was quite drunk, because I'd been drinking <laughs> since about midday, and by the time the game kicked off. So I've still never seen the goal. I should look it up on YouTube. I'll do that later. But yeah. Really and my, I know. But my favourite part of episode one was the Daleks exterminating Jeff Hurst. So he never got that two-goal hat-trick uh, where England cheated to win the World Cup. And to our German listeners, or West German listeners as was, I can only apologise for the dodgy Russian linesman. Anyway, episode two. The thing it's that true. I, I get... I'm issue 590. Issue okay. 590. Okay, tell us, tell us what you said, Dave. Well, basically what I've just said there. That was part seven. The DWM comic strip is outstanding at the moment in a time of decompressed right for the trade storytelling. The Doctor Who strip packs in more story in six pages than most American titles doing 20-odd. So there wow. we go. I can be succinct, listeners, when the mood takes me. <laughs> Penny, a question, Penny, a question I have to ask. You and I have known each other for a very long time. Yes. I live very close to Hamden. Why yes. the heck have you and I gone to a football match? I have no idea. We should we should go and see the Queen's closest, Park. The closest we've got is going for a wander around the, the site of the former club, um, Third Lanark. Yes. <laughs> going, around, going around that empty, ruined stadium in the rain. That's as far as we've got. Which I'm going to take Paul McGann to next time he's in Glasgow. So. Oh, good. Can we go to Lasani afterwards? Yes, I'm sure you'd love that. I'm sure you'd love the, the hot food there. <laughs> free plug, just because if you mention them, play this clip back in the podcast, you might get a free kebab <laughs> anyway. amusingly just to, just to digress just for another further second amusingly um, Lasani being my preferred takeaway of choice I went in last night to get my tea because it was payday and I met our Tom Harris fresh off the train from London or back from London he was in getting his Friday night kebab as well so that was nice oh good old Tom good old Tom and we'll be hearing from Tom later in the month as well in fact we'll be hearing from him twice oh, but uh, so. yeah 
But yeah, episode two of this one, thing that I thought was really clever and, and sort of just a bit of a cutting bit of satire and comment on life in the 21st century, where we've got the alien tourists going around getting their pictures taken in front of London monuments as the Daleks are going around exterminating yeah. everyone in the background. I just think this is like yes. these idiots you see taking selfies when there's tragedies unfolding behind them. I mean, recently, of course. a house burned down. I mean, six, a row of six houses burned down very near me. And you got all these idiots yeah. standing around taking videos and posting them onto social media. And I was just appalled and just thought, that's somebody's life going up yeah. in flames and that's all they've got yeah. to do. Go and that really struck me. Yeah. That reminded me of this. Absolutely. Go and get a bucket of water, you idiots. So do something. Yeah. Oh, Egypt. Part two. Part two of the strip for that excellent full page cliffhanger of the Daleks all preparing to fire on the doctor. Stunning. Yeah. And and then, of course, the next episode to find that the rays are just going through him. You think, what on earth is going on here? There's something weird going on. We can't quite put our finger on. And then it ends with that fantastic one with the doctor goading the Daleks to destroying Earth. And then they do. Yes. That's it. Fantastic. I mean, part three. The Doctor squaring up to the Dalek Supreme. Dalek Supreme in the style of the one that appeared in the Stolen Earth in Season 4. There's, as Kenny mentioned, the alien standing in front of um, Mount Rushmore as the Daleks carve a Dalek head into it. Yet, Part 3 finishing with, with Earth being destroyed. And that's that's only Part 3 of a 14-part story. And then it's the, it's the cliffhanger to the next episode, Part 4. And we're, we're not going to do a complete episode-by-episode episode analysis, no. listeners, because that would get a bit dull. And episode 4... We really cut to the to the point when we revealed that the Doctor hasn't actually been on Earth. He has wasn't actually the new World Cup final. It's all part of a sort of, if you like, I'm drying for the term, an amusement reality, right? Yeah, called the Dalek Dome, which is a whole different, a whole range of different sections where tourists can basically go for a Dalek experience. So you have the um, the the Zeg Jewel Zone, the Earth Invasion Zone, the Scarrow Civil War Zone, etc. and Aspirodon zone. So a lot of these zones get visited over the, the course of the rest of the story. Um, and basically, to cut it all down to the point, is that these Daleks that the Doctor has met so far and some of the other ones that he meets over the next couple of episodes, they're all artificial. They've been created by some Earthlings who have who had rescued some real Daleks who'd crashed in their spaceship and they're all plugged into the machinery and their dreams are being harvested to create these realities, etc. And basically, the Daleks in each of these zones they start to become aware. They're made aware that they're all identical and they decide that they'd actually quite like to exist permanent. And that's where the bulk of the story sort of continues from. Yep. But there's other stuff, there's a few pages where they um they bring in a couple of chapters where they bring in the Golden Emperor from the T V twenty one strip from the sixties. A couple of pages that are deliberate homages to the old T V twenty one Dalek comic strips, which are amazing. Some deep some amazing detail in some of those panels. And this particular golden version of the Golden Emperor, he's the one that decides that he doesn't want to be destroyed and wants to exist properly, and it's it's amazing. Yep. We're not going to tell you how to finish it. Oh, no, definitely not. But what I love the fact is that it's all triggered by the Doctor just making a, a casual aside, and it's picked up on by the Daleks, and he's effectively yes. causing himself the whole problem here by saying, oh, you're not real, yep. and it all sort yep. of goes from there. But, I mean, there's yeah. I say, there's brilliant bits when we've got the, like I say, the Golden Emperor and TV21-style Daleks sort of looking completely wrong, and then the feature is part of the Dalek Dome. I mean, I love the reference to the Zeg Duel, which is obviously a TV21 strip, even the Dalek Death Wheel Zone, which was a, a Absalom Dak strip from the Seventh Doctor. Of course. Uh, that was really good fun. Yeah, and, and of course the Sonic gets destroyed. 
That's right. Yeah, twice. Got Sonic and he gets a new one, and then that gets blown up as well. It's very funny. Yep. And then there's that bit with the anti-Dalek fluid neutralizer being used in Daleks as well. Yes. Lovely little right. knowing references. Um, yeah, it's it's absolutely packed, and you know I would encourage listeners to if you don't haven't been reading the comic strip, I would encourage if you, you know, I would encourage you to pick up the collected edition, Liberation of the Daleks, which is due out this week, I believe. I did message Alan. Was it two months ago when it was mm-hmm. getting a little deeper in? I did send him a DM and just sort of say, listen again. This is phenomenal. Loving it. I hope there's going to be a collected edition. And he said, thanks again. And yes, there will be. And it's, you know, it's out very soon. Yep. Um, I believe it's advertised this issue. I meant another one that made me laugh was episode 11. Uh, the right. very first page of it. Do you have it there? I can do. Yeah, I've got the whole pile. And I can see if you've what, noticed. There's something that I know. I put this down in my notes. Right. So that's the Doctor and Donna cover with Reunion of the Snake yeah. and Earthshock treatment. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Right. It was um there was something at the the episode at the first page of the episode after that really made me laugh on re- on reading it. Is that the one with um hang on. With a friend of mine on it. No, yeah, that's um that's it's the issue after that with the Doctor and Sonic. Right, it's the eleventh it's the eleventh part, yeah. When the man who um we we see the person who's responsible for providing the, the voice of the Daleks within the Dalek Dome and this poor individual gets exterminated by um, Lieutenant Gold who basically appears on the strip in two forms as sort of George and George he's kind of a token companion figure it's blooming based on Nick Briggs isn't it? <laughs> I laughed I'd forget because I'd forgotten that when I'd read it first time thought that's funny and I'd totally forgotten that was coming up again so I did yes, chuckle very with that cool. one of many brilliant little jokes inside Yep. Now, Dave, you're a huge comics fan. What do you think of yes. Lee's art in this one? Oh, it's brilliant. There's no two ways about it. He's the best man for the job. No one draws a better dialect than Lee Sullivan. And as I said, there's some pages and some chapters where it's a deliberate homage to the stylings of TV21. I'll, I will attempt to find, flip my way back through the pile to find, using the kind of... The caption at the top, like that was part nine, part nine and ten, yeah, yeah. On, the, on the back page of of TV twenty one back in the day, and I think it's um I think yeah it's in parts part ten continues that where sort of, there's no there's no real sort of normal linear sort of grid layout. Some of the panels are kind of angled and you know discordant and you know weirdly shaped, and then it, then it because we're on this particular reality and then it, sh- it shifts back to where the doctor is and it, it changes back to sort of normal sort of layouts there's even one panel where you see some of the characters new tv 21 some of the hardware dropped yes. into the background and you see a mechanoid at one point it's yep. phenomenal this is above and beyond it's the sort of thing that you know just sort of shows how much care and how professional alan lee are to actually make this effort to go this far that's what I said, the, the absolute best men for the job. Alan, of course, as we all know, has worked in DWM for years. He's written tons of stuff for Big Finish, you know, responsible for the, the golden age of the um, the Big Finish main range. So he's up, he knows how Doctor Who works inside out. Lee, as I say, he, he, he first drew the Doctor Who strip like 35 years ago. Hope he doesn't mind us dating him in such an extent. <laughs> and he just knows. He just knows how to do this stuff with his eyes shut. And it's it's brilliant. The, the momentum over the whole 14 chapters never lets up. Tons of it's packed in. And, you know, it does make you think, you know, about the, the reality. Of, you know, it's the whole, I think, therefore I am. So do these Daleks have a right to life? Yeah. You know, it's it's heavy. It's heavy questions. 
It is. It is. I mean, there's. I see Alan throwing in some wonderfully clever references. Like I think it's part ten. It's got a Dalek saying "cliffle," which is one of the words yes. from the Dalek book, and that's that sort of thing. That yeah. multi-literate level, and it really worked for me. And I did chuckle yeah. at that. So again, it's one that. Yeah. In fact, why don't we pause for a wee second and get our breath back because we're both so full of enthusiasm. So why don't we hear from the man who drew it? And in fact. Those of you who've got uh, the current DWM will be delighted to know that the wonderful Lee took time out from illustrating it to actually have a chat with us while he was working <laughs> on it. So let's yes. hear from the man. I'm told I'm the artist, Lee Sullivan, who's working on the amazing liberation of the Daleks. <laughs> um, uh, yes, I am. I'm working on Doctor Who magazine on a the 14th episode of a 13-part story kind of got a bit tacked on at the end um interesting because i've never actually known the whole story line, uh, not until i got the absolute final the script so i've never known where the thing is going so it was no surprise that it became a 14 parter i've done all that kind of uh, that and i've done loads of other things as well but um too numerous to mention really yeah, well, this is all part of our celebration of the 60th anniversary with discussing one story for Doctor. And that since this is the only one that will be fully available for the 14th Doctor, then it does seem appropriate. So thank you very much for taking the time out because you better explain what you're working on right now. Well, I'm working on page two of part 14. Uh, and uh, that is mostly I'm uh, putting together the Dalek City uh, the Scaro City from TV21 Zone, because as people might know now, okay. the story involves the Daleks being in various time, or at least scenarios. There are a bunch of uh, mutants, the Dalek mutants, which have been enslaved, and um, they've uh, they've got. Each one of them is in a sort of an imaginary world, a virtual reality. One being the TV21 comic strip world, another being, uh, I don't know, um, Camelot and uh, and various other uh, scenarios. And uh, so I'm drawing Dalek City at the minute, and uh, it's fair to say that all hell will be breaking loose. <laughs> <laughs> it's been brilliant. I mean, I mean, we spoke very briefly before, just when this all began, this this whole thing to get that call out of the. I'd imagine it would have been pretty much out of the blue, just to say. Hey, this is what we're doing. Top secret. Do you fancy it? Well, yeah, I, it was the first conversation. In fact, first couple of conversations I had with Marcus, who was the editor at, of the magazine at the time. He's now editing the comic strip. He wouldn't even tell me what the phone call was about. <laughs> I had to go through quite a jump through some hoops and uh, and sign a non declaration thing. And then he. He still didn't tell me what it was about, but it <laughs> kind of got closer, and then finally they had a script. But I, I knew it was something good, and when it was explained to me, I was very happy to uh, to jump on board because I mean, Alan Barnes is writing it, and he's a good writer. We've worked together in the past. I'm sure we've. I might be wrong. It's funny, isn't it? You know, I've I've known Alan for so long. I think I've worked with him. Yep. I really should up, shouldn't I? Perhaps it will stay in Wikipedia. <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure you have, but I mean, what yeah. a task to be given. You're the first adventure for 
a new incarnation. The fact that it's been said as much by Russell has been canonical. So what a thrill for you to know that you're creating the visuals. Yeah, it's lovely, actually. I, I, I am constantly surprised at the, the nature of my career being quite gratifying in the type of work I've been given. I, I, haven't, I haven't worked on much superhero work, although I did a lot of covers to Marvel UK in the old days. And I kind of assumed I would, but, but the thing I really wanted to draw comics of was Doctor Who when I was, since I was five. Uh, when the show came on, and probably more realistically when I was six, I think when TV comics started, and I started seeing Doctor Who in comic strip form, and so it was, and I started drawing things. I would never get, I was never industrious, I was far too lazy to actually draw a comic strip, but I would draw scenes, and uh, uh, when I finally became an illustrator, and then subsequently became a comics cover artist on Transformers, I suddenly remembered that I wanted to do all these comic strips. And before that, actually, when the, I think the, when Doctor Who magazine, um, Doctor Who Weekly started in 80, no, no, 79, isn't it? Uh, or 78, or something like that. And I looked, yeah, and I looked at it and I thought, okay, oh, this bugger Gibbons, he's, he's stolen my job. Because that's the job I always wanted, the Doctor Who comic strip. And um, a mere 10 years later, <laughs> I wasn't even a comic strip artist at the time, so it was a bit of a stupid thing to be thinking. But it kind of fired something off in me. And when I met John Higgins through a local art shop, who's a great artist in his own right, and colorist of Watchmen, and all sorts of other things, um, I thought, oh, that's good. And he took me to Marvel UK, and Marvel UK gave me some Transformers, covers subsequently transformer strips and the second one i did led directly to working on doctor who magazine so i went from not being a comic strip artist and two years later i was working on doctor who magazine drawing the first strip that i did which was seven doctors and various said companions oh yes i remember the grand Zulum. oh yes we have big eyes we have big teeth yeah, yeah, yeah. They were everywhere at the time. It was they just in all the com in all the comic strips. They, there was an arc where they were in every all the Transformers, all kinds of stuff. I think. So that was no. I mean, so that's the background. I've been a fan of the show, obviously, since yeah. day one. Fan of the Daleks, particularly. So to suddenly be working on that second strip I did was Daleks, and then I've been sort of Mister Daleks ever since. Um, I mean, obviously, other people have done them, but. I got known for doing them, and that was that was just, it's very funny. And then to finally come back, because that was the 25th anniversary story that I did first thing, and now I'm doing the 60th anniversary thing. <laughs> so if, it proves one thing. If you hang around long enough, <laughs> things boomerang back on you. Yeah. But it was a thrill to be working on it. I should be glad to rest from Dalek soon, but, you know. If, I would imagine that doing one will take quite a while given all those angles and such likes and all the, the meticulous detail they require. But then if you have to do numerous time and again in the same panel and then different panels on different pages, I can imagine it is quite a time consuming process compared to straightforward characters. It is because with humans or uh, figures, uh, humanoidish figures, they're quite reasonably quick to draw because once you've got used to doing them, you know, you can kind of, they're quite bendy, so you don't have to worry too much about exactly how many, well, 
let's face it, you don't have to worry about how many balls they've got. Oh uh, yeah, the, the, but the, I mean, the, the, they are a blessing and a curse because I love the shape. I love the fact that their shapes change as they you know, go from top to bottom. They start off as a dome and a, and a cylinder, and then they turn into a, they morph into a sort of a polygon kind of shape to the base. And I love that. That's what makes them so interesting. I think. But it also makes them hard work. So, of course, being a very lazy person, as I think I've already indicated, there's quite a bit of cloning happens these days because I work digitally entirely. I couldn't get through this now if the, the amount of stuff there is to draw with the time that ends up being available. That's not the not the magazine's fault, but there are there are bumps in the schedules where you have to put things in two weeks in advance because there's a gift cover or a, a bagged magazine usually posters and all that kind of stuff in and so some the schedule kind of bumps around in places we started very late i was thinking about this today because there's my style time kind of varies with the amount of time i've got to work on things and in the past, I would have done a lot more lighting effects on faces, but because we had such a, a quick run in time on the first episode, I had to kind of, and also I hadn't done a full-scale comic strip for a couple of years, so it was, you know, starting from scratch a bit for me, or getting in, getting back on the horse, you know. Because of the time factor, I couldn't really do those things anymore, and I knew a colorist, good colorist, would do a good job of that and save my bacon in that area. But once you've got the first two or three pages done, that's, you're locked into it then. It's like, you know, actors having an accent in the first episode, that's it, you know. Doesn't matter if you don't like it later on, you've got to carry on, you know. So I think if I, were, if I had limit this time and more patience than I have these days, I would maybe strive for a bit more kind of three-dimensional shadow shadowing on things but they're just it's, it's so, the page i've just finished has of course i can't show it to you but no i've covered my has, eyes as well so i can't see it either anyway you're not holding up and i can't see so we're good i've got mine shut too <laughs> um <laughs> you know the emperor turns up twice well three times, the, the Golden Emperor from the four times, I shouldn't say. And then the uh, the Evil of the Daleks Emperor turns up three times, all from different angles. There's a whole lot of them, um, because it's set in the the evil control room, it has crisscross lines everywhere. And the whole thing's just flipping. Oh, it was a bit of a nightmare, that page. And I thought it would be quite straightforward, and it wasn't, it really wasn't. Um, but I do sometimes, because I work digitally, I can sometimes clone some of the Daleks. And the thing is, that that's how they do them on television now anyway. So it's it's a sort of honourable cheating, I think. And of course, Daleks more or less look the same. If you, but, but also, of course, in this strip, I've drawn more or less every version of the Daleks there are, you know, so including some toys. Uh, so that, that was quite, you know, can't doesn't work completely like that. I have to sort. I still have to actually do some drawing. <laughs> oh, I mean, for me, it's been a non-stop thrill ride because it's. I mean, as in terms of a plot, from what Alan's been sending you, it's just been twisting and turning, and wrong-footing us all left, right, and centre, with all these different worlds and different scenarios. And again, for you as an artist, get at least you're not going stale. You're getting really pushed with all these different worlds that you mentioned earlier. 
Yes, uh, it, of course, that assumes that you might want to be Bush. And as I say, I'm a lazy person. And <laughs> my, my, every time I get a strip, I mean, you think you would get wrong footed. I was getting wrong footed quite badly uh, because I might draw something not really appropriate to the following episode, but because Alan was having to write them pretty much on the hoof. He was writing them, I would be drawing at that episode next, and he would be writing the next one. So I didn't know, because I didn't have an overview of the story. I didn't really know where we were going. And I'm sure there's a good reason why I didn't have an overview. I think Alan was probably having to adjust things all the time anyway. And that's my, that's my surmise. Of, co of course, there was an outline that was approved by Bad Wolf and Panini and the BBC, I guess. So it, it was, I knew that it was going somewhere, but I had absolutely no idea, absolutely no idea what was going on at all until I got the script. I thought, oh, right, okay. So the one that really kind of knocked me sideways was the, uh, the, the Camelot uh, thing with the Imperial Daleks invading that, because the one thing I've always feared drawing are dragons. I tried it a long, long time ago when I knew someone who worked at one of those Dungeons and Dragons magazine outlets. I don't think it was white. I can't remember what it was called. Anyway, I, I did a sample for him and it was just awful. I didn't know what I was doing with the dragon at all. Happily, Game of Thrones has happened in the meantime. And uh, I was able to... I, I suddenly got what dragons kind of should be and how you could do them. And also, I was 30 years down the line of drawing, I suppose. So, but that one, when I saw the when I saw the script that, and it didn't follow at all what had happened at the end of the last one, because you do end on cliffhangers each time. But Alan's trick is he takes you to another scene, so you don't even get the resolution of it immediately. And uh, that was just so out of left field; I couldn't believe it really. <laughs> yeah, and of course, this has given you a chance to to illustrate. David Tennant, how have you found to capture yeah. his likeness? Well, it's tough actually. He's he's got quite a difficult face actually. It's slightly asymmetrical because his nose points slightly to one side, and it means that you have to be careful that you get your reference around the right way when you're looking at these things because it doesn't look right the wrong way around. It's even in drawings, but also, I mean, that um, all likenesses are variable when you do this stuff. I think there's two ways of doing them you either slavishly copy and photograph, and you can always see that it's a photograph somehow. I mean, some of the great practitioners of it, you can see immediately they've used a, a reference photograph because they, they are able to adapt a photograph very closely to what the photograph is. I try not to do that because. I do use the reference photographs, and it's, it's probably fairly obvious where they're from, but it, I prefer to have a map of the, the features in my mind and try and draw them that way. It quite often doesn't work, and I have to resort to photographs, but uh, but even sometimes when you use photographs, it just doesn't, doesn't look right, and you have to adjust it anyway. So there's a, you know, tracing sounds easy, but actually it's as much of a problem as it is a, a solution. So. Yeah. Well, I also have, it's not the first time I've actually drawn Tenant, though, because I did five years on battles in, was it three or four years, three, four, five years on battles in time, uh, which was for uh, Fabry. And that was a much more sort of junior, uh, stylistically junior strip 
Well, I got used to drawing him then, but of course now he looks more grizzled anyway, and that, that's been a fine line, trying to make him look... Because once you start adding lines, you can age people far too much. So I had to make him a little bit leaner and slightly more angled. And then I found that the best thing was just to put a few dots of stubble and that kind of aged him as well. <laughs> uh, but I've done things like the neck lines, you know, little lines twists in your neck and you get those, those kind of uh, tension marks in the neck. Yeah. But yeah, it'd be good fun doing it. Excellent, but it's really come across. And I suppose that for you, it must have been a real highlight getting to do a TV Century 21 style version of the strip. When Just when you think, did you know that was coming? I have to, I did wonder, or was it one that just dropped, say, your response, you've got to do this month? I didn't, I didn't know. I think there was a, somebody, I think probably Marcus mentioned to me that Russell T had said, we're doing all the Daleks. And I thought then, I wonder what that means. Uh, and then, of course, there's, as the strip unfolds, there's more or less a new. Uh, it starts off with the uh, with the new series Daleks, but the bronzes. But and then it suddenly became apparent we were doing other things. And then, to my great delight, the TV Twenty One episode turned up, and uh, I was very pleased with that. Although, again, it's slightly it's slightly intimidating because you're following, you know, in my case particularly Jennings and uh, Richard Jennings and Ron Turner and both of them in my head are the Dalek artists and um, to sort of work in that thing was great but I thought well it's also got to, I've got to try and be as good as them as well so I guess it's all pushing me and my lazy <laughs> lazy old carcass uh, into doing new stuff but yeah I can't I, I can't really believe I've been able to draw those things because I was drawing the the new series uh, sources to begin with and they're they are complicated <laughs> and I thought it would be nice if I could just make one of these uh, one of the original Dalek sources from uh, TV 21 and the Dalek uh, annuals the first Dal uh, first two Dal three Dalek annuals were really part of the whole TV 21 thing they're all the same artist by and large it's uh, Richard Jennings again so, yeah, it's great. I was thrilled to be doing that. It really does come across your love for them because it's just like the fine details, just when you look in to see that just subtle things that just like you're just sort of fulfilling almost like a, a lifelong dream in many ways and you're being paid to do it. Hard work, but having fun while doing it. Yeah, it, it's the best job in the world, really. <laughs> you, can't, you can't fault it. I mean, for things tailored to me, I mean, I don't mean people have written it with me in mind, but it's it suits me very well to do this kind of stuff. Although I'm, start, I'm starting to get Dalek fatigue now because it's <laughs> 14 we started it and, uh, and uh, there'll be something else I expect. <laughs> mm, stay tuned, as John Nathan Turner used to tell us. Yes, that's right, yeah. He's, uh, yeah, he's, he's a lovely guy, actually. I met him once... And he was, t I, he was, he was in the middle of being taken to task by the fandom at that stage. I think so while he was still showing, uh, I wasn't any. I was, what was I doing? Oh, I just started doing the comic strips. That's right. And uh, and so I got invited to a few conventions, and I sat at a table once, and he he said uh, he was introduced and got up from the table. And as he got up, he said to me. Ah, oh, thank goodness, no boots. 
And for a second, I thought he meant there's no alcohol. I was terrified. But he meant that people were not booing him. So he was quite, quite you know, quite, although he was very clearly a tough guy in some respects, also quite sensitive, I think. Mm. He knew about the criticism. I'm sure he didn't like it. Yeah. No, it's, it's not nice the way that people do it. If you have nothing nice to say, just don't say it. I think that's the, the best policy these days. Yeah, it is, but fans can't do that. I mean, I, I, I all the time, I'm, I'm a bitch about everything. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> you often don't think about how much work has gone into whatever it is that you don't like and how everyone is trying to do their best all the time. You know, or at least they should, well, yeah, there they are. People don't go into the business to make stuff that people would like. You know, but fandom has so much. Uh, there are so many varied points of view, and everyone's very passionate about it, and that's you know causes uh, problems from time to time. Yeah, there's something that we've spoken about before, but maybe just for the listeners, just in terms of what you work from when you get your script through from Alan, could you maybe describe, you know, a page for us. Um, just as to how it comes about and what you're given and what you have to work with and incorporate. So I get a script through the post. Well, not, <laughs> no, I don't. I get a script via email, of course. Um, and it's about uh, 10, maybe 12 pages long. And on each page is, uh, I'll, I'll read a bit out to you. So uh, can I read this one? Uh, uh, uh. Yes, I can. Uh, okay, so it says, Scott Who Magazine, issue 597, Liberation of the Daleks, part 14, page one, six panels. So Alan's already described roughly what's going on. So I can start thinking, I've only got six drawings to do in this. And panel one, TV21, Scaro. The Black Dalek gliding up to the Golden Emperor. Yellow headlights. Still on the walkway overlooking the city as last episode the red whirlpool in the sky above. There are still plenty of Daleks in the background, moving in formation towards the spaceport, rising above walkways, etc. And then it will say, and that's, so that's the description of the first panel, and then the dialogue is uh, Black Dalek, a communication from Earth, world government seeks to negotiate total surrender. And the Golden Emperor replies, well, I'm not going to tell you why he replies, clearly, I can't do <laughs> And then the same for each uh, panel on that um, page. So I get told pretty much exactly what's going on, but I have to figure out what shape the page should be, what what preference should be given to which panel. They pretty much decide themselves because if you've got a lot going on, you have to you have to generally have to have a bigger panel and headshots and that sort of stuff. You can shrink it down a bit to allow room for the bigger panels. Uh, six panels is about right, the average for most comic book pages these days. But sometimes it will be three, four, five, six, seven, and sometimes that push. I did one, which was, I think, 16. That, that Not on this, but um, that was utterly crazy. But um, yeah, so you, you, you have the kind of roughly the sizes it was also determined by the lettering, uh, whatever balloons are in there, you have to make room for those, otherwise you lose a lot of um, uh, space. And the design, in the way I do it, and not all artists do this apparently, I 
really design it very quickly in the first instance about which character speaks first because they have to go left to right top to bottom if there's call and response a couple of times so that you have character one speaks character two speaks character one speaks again and then maybe character two or three speaks afterwards you have to get all those work within so that they work and then that kind of gives you the space you've got left to do put the characters in that's the way I do it. Some don't, and I'm, I am at a loss to know what how they manage to do it. But apparently, it's not universal that. Uh, and then I take myself off to a coffee shop for a couple of days, and I go I rough um, on my iPad Pro uh, because I found that the most flexible. I hate, hate, hate doing roughs. I really can't stand. I really won't do pencils anymore. I have to do finished artwork uh, in terms of line work or nothing really, because every time I've, I, with a few noble exceptions, uh, uh, particularly on Mark of Mandragora and things like that, where I've I had to do pencils because I was also working on Robocop at, at the time or, or Tech World or something like that. So I I then sit down with the iPad and I can move things around very easily like that. In the old days, you'd have to redraw the whole page again if you didn't like the way it's going. So I do all of that. Then I I can shuffle them off as very, they're really not even pencils. They're rough, rough rubbish, really, <laughs> that I send off. And they can, but you can see what's happening and you can see where all the word balloons are. So hopefully uh, they got used to looking at that with me. I'm old and cantankerous and I just can't go back to the old ways anymore. <laughs> I can't go back to slavery now, as uh, well, somebody will know what that means. Uh, anyway, um, and then once they're approved, I then put them onto my um, uh, thing called, well, it used to be called Manga Studio. I think it's now Clip Studio Art something or other uh, and that is a digital platform to, to draw comics with and it's quite good at line work it has some tricks you can use I don't have time to use them that much but um, you know it's, it's kind of flexible and it's, it's for me the best way of working these days I kind of miss doing proper paper and pen and ink but it is so inflexible and the thing is everything has to be done very quickly these days because somehow because we are all now able to work digitally it's always expected very quickly because you, you don't even have the time to post things off anymore you have to bang them out one page at a time you know it's just a different work method to what it used to be when i started but yeah so and then i do the once once i've done the final artwork which is built up in lots and lots of layers so you start off with a background maybe or you start off with the lead character and a couple of instances and then you put another layer on and put another Dalek on or whatever and then another layer will be the background that's helpful later on because then you can use some of those elements you can take those isolate those bring them forward into now and uh, and cheat which is what I've been doing today um, <laughs> with the Dalek city it's a cunning reworking of the first time we saw the city but um, there are new elements in it and hopefully it'll make it look different enough to not be utterly repetitious. And then I send that off and then uh, the guys get to work and um, the colorist will do the coloring, uh, lettering, letter um, uh, guy will do the letters and the whole thing gets flung together. And 
<laughs> I'm nearly always late. That's a, that's my curse at the minute. I hate being late with work. We have we haven't actually been late, but we've gone very close to the wire. I do appreciate the uh, the work that they have to do to catch up, because I have been you know running to the wire. You know, James and Freddie is doing the lettering and. Uh, Oh no, no, sorry, James is doing um, the colouring and Roger is doing the the lettering. Um, And the colouring is turning out very well. It's not how I would do it. And I've been used to other types of colouring, but but he's doing something quite new for me and that's uh, doing it very well. I've been really, really enjoying seeing it come back. I generally don't get to see them until they turn up in the magazine. It's so close to time. No one's got time to send me anything. (laughs) So uh, we did it. It got the closest it got was, I think I sent the final artwork on the, I want to say the Thursday for dramatic purposes. It's probably Wednesday. That was sending the final page of black and white line work, and I got the magazine through the post on the Monday. I mean, I don't know how that's possible, even. Somebody must have, I mean, they must be cursing me. <laughs> but it's always not, not because I'm trying, you know, not being bothered with it. There's just so many things happen. There are funerals, there are, you know, holidays and. God knows what else to try and fit in, and um, and the the schedule is not exactly evenly spaced, and so somehow you're always kind of trying to drive a wedge of time into you know what seems like an impossible um, schedule. But um, yeah, but it's team effort. It's all team effort, and poor, the poor guys at the other end of it after me have to work much faster than I do. I think. <laughs> Sorry, James and Roger. <laughs> It must be so rewarding to know that you're playing, you're a big part of the core of Doctor Who magazine's 60th anniversary celebrations. And of course, the compilation is on the way in the next few weeks as well. Yes, uh, again, that is, uh, I mean, I, I suppose when I started, I thought, well, maybe they'll put this together at some point. Then it became, I suddenly thought, oh, it's obvious they're going to have to do this because if they want the maximum audience and it's still. You know, the, the specials are still happening. They'll have to do it then if they're going to do it, because then it, otherwise it won't properly fit into this thing of it being canonical and um, and being in advance of these specials. It, I've just done the cover for that, and I think you you might have seen the cover for it. I sent that off just before I went away on holiday. <laughs> yep. Another match. I finished the episode, and then I. And then I got the uh, the cover finalised and done. Uh, but that I've coloured myself uh, just for the fun of it, really, I suppose. And um, I think it looks okay. But um, I, I, again, I wanted to do it longhand so I would actually have some physical artwork to sell. <laughs> you see, it's not all. Uh, <laughs> it, it's it's there's a cynicism there somewhere. Uh, but I just didn't have the time and finish. And really, what I. I had really done the inking to try and make it as clear as possible that because covers are a different matter, they have to be approved and they have much more riding on them really than um, than a comic rough. Uh, so uh, I'd pretty much drawn it by the time I sent it off. I, uh, I need to reposition a few things and then I, then I coloured it and sent that off. So that was only sent off, I think a week ago. Might have some correction pages to do. 
so there's uh, it's but it's all pretty again it will go right up to the wire <laughs> but the thing is that should have been launched really because the 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 comic strip was extended by one episode because it became apparent that the timings of when the program was going to the specials were going to be going out it needed another episode so i think a few months ago alan had to start restructuring I guess he started restructuring the story, so we ended up where we were, where we are now. There are so many things you don't think about. You know, I mean, I try not to think about them as an artist. I don't want to think about writers' job, but uh, I know Alan must have a very interesting time with this because it has to do so many things, and it also has to not do many things because they, uh, the um, Bad Wolf, been very, very tight on looking at this stuff. Um, Scott Hancock and uh, Russ Lee Davis are both there overseeing, uh, in the first instance, overseeing the story outline. And then if they see something in a script, they think contradicts something they want to do, uh, then they'll change, they will make it known that changes are required. And I guess the same thing is, has happened once or twice with, with the drawings. So it's really quite a it's, it's even more complicated than a normal comic strip because it's got to satisfy all these different things, you know. Yeah, oh, that's been brilliant. Lee, thank you so much for taking time out from episode 14, particularly when you're up against it. So it is hugely appreciated. And I'm sure that everybody listening to this on the 15th of November will be saying thank you very much. And oh my goodness, I can't believe it. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I'm, I hope everyone enjoys it. Fantastic. Cheers. Massive thanks to Lee. That was just brilliant, just hearing his thoughts and just the passion he has for it. It's just so much fun. I think that's just wonderful. Yeah. Amazing. Lee, you know, if you're listening, thank you. Thanks for taking the time. I've been a fan since I was 15, so <laughs> amazing that you could take the time to talk to us. Really, really appreciate it. Superb. He's wonderful. I mean, it's again, the whole strip, it just has such an energy to it. Just like the, there's so many subtle details, just like all these different Daleks, like, you know, like yeah. rubbish ones, like toy versions yeah. and things like that. And, yeah. and, you know, like the rubbish ones, even in the, the last issue, there's different variations all the way. Uh-huh. You know, he's obviously, you know, done the research. There's lots of echoes. I mean, one of my favourite sequences, I think, is towards the end of the second, last episode, part 13, when the, the Doctor does a little Zoom conference call with all the different Dalek leaders. Yes, and he's all the different designs of that's superb. If this was the Earth 2 podcast, we'd probably put that panel on, on our Instagram. But, you know, he gets to draw the, the evil of the Daleks Emperor. And he's huge. Um, and he's amazing. And he's terrifying. Grabs the Doctor with one of these tentacles at one point and, you know, there's some amazing stuff. There's real, there's moments of real pathos and stuff in it as well when, like, the simulation of Georgie, the way she sort of is, is written out and then one of the other supporting characters gets shot by a Dalek in the background of one panel and you, and you think, oh. And then I think what parts, I'm just flicking through it now, part 12, when you land in Spiridon and you get another Dalek design which I'd never seen yep. before, it's it's phenomenal. Can't yeah. rave about it enough. It's nice to be able to say that because a lot of the comics that I read nowadays I find very unsatisfying, so this has been tremendous. Yeah, I love I the fact... Alan and Lee are sticking to the comic strip. I don't know if they are or not. Oh, I don't know. I, I didn't ask because that was, that was part of the deal. Was I wouldn't ask what's coming up. So I'm not going to I'm not going to do that and put them on the spot. But no, you mentioned there just all the different Daleks that were pictured. Yeah. Um, there's obviously there's a new paradigm one. There's the big finished glass Dalek, 
which is beautifully yeah. rendered as well. Yes. And DWM's Emperor Dalek, um, obviously the Parting of the Ways Emperor, all these different sort of Dalek leaders, and some new ones like one with a spike in its head, which I'm sure I recognise from somewhere, but they were just so good. Mm. Yes, the one from the... I wish I could remember the name of the the, the one with the glass Dalek. So Six Doctor Mrs. Clark story, wasn't it? Yes, by Mike Tucker. Oh. Yes, I can't remember what it's called, but I remember listening to it getting the bus on the way up to Castlemilk for a swim <laughs> when that came out. Oh, yeah, it's, it's it's great stuff. I mean, if you're a Dalek fan, you go nuts reading this. You really would. Yeah, I definitely stuff. did. I mean, I'm, I am, I mean, I think it's quite, I do prefer Cybermen to Daleks, but this one was just epic all the way. Now, let's have a, we haven't really mentioned much about the Doctor. I mean, his, his voice is very much David Tennant's voice. You can hear it in every single panel, every single frame. Yeah. Yes felt very very authentic that's one thing that's going to be interesting over the next couple of weeks is when we see the new episodes and just gauge how much he's going to be how much the the, the 14th doctor is going to be like the 10th it's going to be interesting but this i mean this this was a great idea i think because obviously power of the doctor went out god it's over a year ago now yeah. and that's a long time it's like 13 months and but having this strip is actually for me, at least, it's helped kind of maintain my enthusiasm, keep the momentum going, and of, of my for the momentum of my anticipation. If that doesn't sound too pretentious, yeah, it felt spot on. I mean, it felt felt very Davy, you know, <laughs> very DT. But again, this is a, you know, it's Alan Barnes. He he's, he has an instinctive you know way of doing this. He knows how every every doctor works, and I, I imagine he's probably liaised with the production team and they've told him a little bit about what the Doctor's going to be like and stuff so it's um yes it was it's interesting it's going to be interesting actually in Starbeast and listeners at this point we haven't released our episode we haven't released one of our episodes about the Starbeast but we have talked about it at this point I'm wondering if the Star if the Doctor's going to mention the Daleks and the Starbeast or anything like that if he's going to mention not having a Sonic or something that'll be interesting to watch out for most definitely see if there's any yeah, I mean, something I was also thinking about this story is that wouldn't it be nice if in you know, like a few years down the line, Big Finish did an audio version of this to plug that gap? It's interesting. I, it's, I'll, I'll be devil's advocate for a second, if I may. I'm not sure how well that would work because so much of it is down to what Lee was doing. So much of it's visual. The good thing about comics is that you can, it's the perfect combination of words and pictures, but very often you don't need the words. And a lot of the stuff in this works so well because obviously Alan's written it but Lee has rendered it and so you, a lot of the time you can follow it very clearly without even having to read what's being said and I don't know how well some of it would work on audio you know like certain reveals or they, they would need to include sort of the, the proper cliffhanger sting at points I think to kind of to, to make certain moments work like you know the end of part two for example or yeah. you know, of being destroyed I don't know it would be, it'd be a challenge I think the danger would be there'd be quite a lot of They'd have to rework the dialogue so people would be having to say what was happening rather than actually when, when in a comic strip you can you can see what's happening. I felt that when Big Finish previously did um, a comic strip adaptations, they kind of one one of them worked better than the other. But I shall say no more about that at this time. I'll say some more about it next week. Yes. Yeah. No, I, th- uh-huh. I think it'd be nice. Uh, uh-huh. Obviously, with Alan having adapted the Star Beast and Iron Legion for audio would be interesting for him to adapt his own work but that's just me wanting more of this 14th Doctor who obviously we're not going to get too much of sadly from three episodes that's that's one of the also obviously one of the best things about it because you know as far as we know DT is just back for three episodes unless they reveal that 
that in cooperation with Disney, they're going to give us 10 episodes set between Wild Blue Yonder and The Giggle, which would be fun. I wonder if they're going to do any original fiction with them. I know we're getting the novelizations, so it might, it might just be this is all we get. I mean, this issue of Dwim came out two days ago. Is is Shooty going to be in the next one? Will there be a comic strip in the next one? Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Yep. Stay tuned, as somebody once said. Absolutely. You said it a couple of days ago. I heard you. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, I did. Okay, good point. You know, I think that um, the fact that we've we've obviously deliberately not discussed this together, we've just said loving the comic strip and we've not been saying too much because we were saving it for this. And it's just wonderful to sort of to know that you know, we were loving it from episode one and by episode 14, we're still exactly the same, bubbling away with yeah. enthusiasm. And it's it's just been such yeah. a such a damn good read. Yeah, it's been great. There's no other way about it. I mean, the, but the thing is, the Rock 2 magazine comic strips have always been great right from the word go. I kind of dip in and out of with, with the regularity of my reading, but I mean, I think I might have said already. I'm, in fact, I'm not going to say that because I'll, I'll save it when I, for when I say it when we talk about <laughs> the Star Beast. I think some of the the Doctor's best adventures have been in the DWM comic strip. I'll leave it at that. Well, there we go. Brilliant. Well, Dave, that's us sorted. That'll do. Fifteen now, days, fifteen Doctors. Oh, I know what we're playing out with today, listeners, because we arranged we worked this out weeks ago when we decided we were going to do this episode. When I, when I was working in Stateside Comics in 1994, trading cards are a big thing, and there was a range of Sandman trading cards going on, and I bought a packet and was very lucky to get one of the chase cards, which was a gold foil sort of embossed, bordered rendering of the character of Death. And my friend Richard, who also worked in the shop, he was he was collecting these cards. He was like, oh, you got the Death I was like, yeah, I got the Death card. The sort of thing nowadays I would have stuck it straight up on eBay. And Richard quite fancied this, so... We did a swap and in exchange for the death card because I wasn't that fussed about it. I quite liked it, but I wasn't that fussed. Richard bought me the, the CD single of the song we're about to play out with today. I still have it in the little card sleeve. So, Kenny, what are we playing out with today? Well, Dave, it's a song that is appropriate enough. Obviously, people know that I'm a Pet Shop Boys fan because I like to play out with their songs. And today it's one that you absolutely agreed with because today we're going to play out with... This, I think it was the third single from the album Very, which was in 1993, and the song is called Liberation. Liberation of the Daleks, listeners. Do you see? Do you see what we've done there? Anyway, um, am I back tomorrow? I can't. Uh, no, you've got the day off tomorrow, Dave. Woo-hoo! But you can come back on the 17th. I can get my washing done, and I can go to and go to Asda, and I can I can maybe shave. Yeah. Right. We'll let you do. You've been safe tomorrow. I'll see you in a couple of days. Cheers, Bye everyone. For now.